another one of those nights. And when I say that, you can usually tell by my hair uh, how busy it's been because it, it tends to get messier when news breaks closer to showtime. So um, the, the, the Jeffrey Epstein story, while it is, some say decades, but definitely a decade and definitely a few minutes old, um, it just continues to deliver filth. And when I say that, the Manhattan uh, federal court uh, vomited a lot of ugly onto us just in the last hour. So um, it's my job to be the purveyor of that. So I'm sorry, but you should probably listen to what I'm going to tell you tonight. Um, I'll get to it in a minute. I'm actually going to read directly from the, the depositions that have been released. It's just gross. But it's been secret. It's been secret for a long time. The other thing that's been secret is that the life of Gypsy Rose Blanchard. So, look, I can't wait for this this special. It's like a three-part Lifetime documentary that's uh, hitting tomorrow. Um, because we're going to find out so much about what this kid, now woman, has, has gone through in her eight-year you know, prison sentence. She's now free. She's been free since a week ago. And you don't have to wait for the documentary for tomorrow night because I have an exclusive guest on tonight, uh, Gypsy Rose Blanchard's stepmother. So her stepmother and her father have been preparing and waiting for her to, to get out of, um, you know, prison. They were, you know, welcoming her with open arms, you know, helping her sort of reignite in a new world of freedom and being a grown woman. And so tonight I'm super excited to, to speak with Gypsy Rose's stepmother about um, everything we're going to hear in the doc tomorrow and, you know, snippets of what's going on in her life and how she's doing. So, and all that's coming up. So like I said, it's kind of a double lead tonight with the Epstein stuff. Um, th there's a couple of things I do want to tell you about. If you have kids in the room, you should move them for the deposition stuff when I'm going to read it. I'm giving you ample warning, but there's a lot of stuff that people under the age of 18 shouldn't hear. Um, and it's just, you know, if you've been a victim of sexual abuse, I don't think you should hear it either. If you're okay, if you're okay with it, I just want to give you that warning. So uh, there's a few things where we're going to hear about exactly what um, the allegations were by Virginia Giuffre against Prince Andrew and um, what another victim of Jeffrey Epstein said happened to her uh, while she was sitting on a couch with, with uh, Prince Andrew and a puppet. And then also um, some really serious allegations about Bill Clinton uh, pressuring a magazine not to report on Jeffrey Epstein. Allegations, none of this proven. We also have reaction um, from Bill Clinton's camp on that. And then this really amazing piece where one of the victims from Jeffrey Epstein um, said in these, again, depositions doesn't make them true. They're allegations, they're unfounded, but they are in court documents, but that doesn't make them fact. However, one of the victims said um, that she was trafficked to two of the most respected politicians in the world. The names are there. They're there, but they're just under some black ink. So it, it's weird because there's still some redactions in these released documents. But all of this, as you probably know by now, when, when this accuser um, and now victim of Ghislaine Maxwell and, and Jeffrey Epstein, when she was in a civil litigation against Ghislaine Maxwell, this was all the stuff that came out. And the court sealed it till tonight. And last night. But it's just been like constant, you know, revelation. So I just listen to this real quickly, though. When the Palm Beach investigator, the lead detective, was uh, basically catching Jeffrey Epstein in the act, he was interviewed in some of these depositions. I want you to hear this. His name is Joseph Riccari, Palm Beach County detective. And Virginia Giuffre's attorney is Mr. Edwards. He says, 
Were the majority of those girls that you interviewed over or under the age of 18, these are the girls that were pulled into the mansion to, to do massages of Jeffrey Epstein, and then they found themselves being you know, sexually abused and, and raped. Uh, and the interviewer, uh, well, actually, Glenn Maxwell's lawyer jumps in and says, object, <laughs> object to Foreman Foundation. And then the witness, the detective says the majority were under. And Mr. Edwards says the remainder of the 30 girls that went to this house for the purpose of massage or recruiting for massage, is it my understanding that they had no massage experience? Gillen's lawyer, object to Foreman Foundation. The witness, uh, the detective, that is correct. I'm going to read this whole thing for you. This is just like the tippy top, but I'm going to read the whole thing, and that's all coming up. But I am going to start with, with Gypsy Rose, um, because Gypsy Rose Blanchard is like getting the taste of life that all of us have had, and she's never had, because she's now been a free woman for a full week as of tonight. What a week it's been, too. Um, you probably know, if you've been watching this program, that she's on parole, because she had to serve a 10-year sentence. She served most of it. She served eight. Um, that was because Missouri didn't like the fact that she conspired to kill her mother, and they put her in prison for it. She was tried and convicted, and she was in prison for it. And for her entire life, she had been convinced prior to killing her mother that she was gravely ill. Her mother, Dee Dee Blanchard, did her level best to convince the world that her daughter was on the verge of death. And so she subjected that girl, Gypsy, to decades of completely unnecessary treatments and drugs and cruelty and a wheelchair she didn't need. And now Gypsy's 32. And she is learning to live her own life for the first time. And tomorrow at 8 o'clock Eastern, Lifetime, is starting uh, part one of a three-part documentary called The Prison Confessions of Gypsy Rose Blanchard. And I have a sneak peek. Take a look. After a lifetime of silence, I finally get to use my voice to share my story and to take my truth. As a survivor of relentless child abuse, this docuseries chronicles my quest to expose the hidden parts of my life that have never been revealed until now. My mother claimed that I was sick. A Lifetime Documentary event. Gypsy Blanchard is the only victim of Munchausen Syndrome by proxy who has killed their mother. She trained me to the bed. She said, we'll never be happy. He was holding the medications, hospital surgeries. There was, there was no one end in sight. sharp scream. I will finally share my story the way that it should be shared. The Prison Confessions of Gypsy Rose Blanchard. Coming soon to Lifetime. Yeah, like tomorrow. I cannot wait. So um, Gypsy's father and her stepmom did all the preparations for, for Gypsy's release from prison. They welcomed her home with open arms. Look at this. They had holiday celebration. In just a moment, I'm going to be joined live by Gypsy's stepmom, Christy Blanchard. But first, I, I do want to share some of the thoughts that Gypsy has had about that biological mother of hers who she conspired to murder, a mother who tormented her almost to the point of death. If you watched any of the proceedings, it was argued in the court that Dee Dee Blanchard suffered from Munchausen syndrome by proxy. It's very wordy, but it's a condition whereby a parent or a caregiver does a whole lot to a child. They either induce illness or they lie about illness, and they do it all to gain sympathy for themselves. Look at me, I'm a hero, I'm taking care. Here is what Gypsy Rose told People magazine about her mom. This might surprise you. She said, it's a journey, but I am starting to feel more forgiveness 
and understanding that it is something that maybe was out of her control. Maybe it was like an addict with an impulse and that it was not consciously malice. She was diagnosed with bipolar and schizophrenia when she was a little younger. And so she was not taking medication for that. And so perhaps if maybe she was on her meds, maybe things would have been different. She was a sick woman. And unfortunately, I wasn't educated enough to see that. She deserved to be where I am, sitting in prison, doing time for criminal behavior. Wow. Um, that's pretty forgiving, you know, for a lifetime of being abused like that. For, for this kid, who is now a woman, she was locked up, and she says that being locked up was a godsend. Uh, says her lawyer has said that uh, she, ga- or her lawyer has said that she gained, I think, around 14 pounds the year that she uh, first was in the county jail. That would be a much needed 14 pounds, right? Um, Gypsy now tells the Hollywood Reporter that the mental and emotional and psychological benefits were even greater than, than what she went through physically. Let me read it for you what she told them. I wasn't allowed to have those experiences that form maturity. So in prison, I was able to have those experiences and grow from that. I'm the type of person that will make a mistake, learn from it, and move on, and hopefully never make it again. So I definitely think that that level of maturity kicked in. And you can see the transformation from when I first got to prison to me actually walking out of prison and feeling, as a confident woman, like I could stand my ground, say no when I need to, be my best advocate. That's the journey that I went through in prison. And then Gypsy Rose also talks about her new life outside of prison. And she goes on to say, I've been spending my time reconnecting with my dad and my stepmom and really spending time with my husband. We're back home in Louisiana now and we're settling into married life. I definitely had to kind of go peeking through his closet and putting my clothes on the shelf and integrating myself into his life now. I am making this my home. She also in the uh, Lifetime special... She alleges more abuse from her childhood in in the series. And she accuses her grandfather, that would be her mother's father, so Dee Dee's father. Um, She accuses him of sexually abusing her for a year when she was a child. And her grandfather was asked to respond to that. He said he denies it. And he says that, that Gypsy was the one trying to touch him from the age of four on. Odd. Anyway, he claims that he always told her no. So I'm joined now by Gypsy's stepmom, Christy Blanchard, and I'm so happy to uh, have you on the program again. Um, Thank you for doing this tonight. I'm very excited about the show tomorrow. Uh, But I just want to ask how Gypsy's doing. It's been a week now since she's been out. She's doing really well. Uh, She's adjusting. Like you said earlier, she's making Ryan's home her home. I told her, you know... Move all her stuff out of the closet. Take it over. <laughs> yeah. She is adjusting as well as, well, beyond what I expected so quickly. But she said she feels at home and she feels at peace. What um, did she not expect? Like, what is she struggling with? I know some inmates, uh, they will get out of uh, prison and they hadn't seen an iPhone before. Like, there's certain little details that kind of shock them. Eight years is a long time, especially growing up, as she did in, in prison. What has been tough for her? I mean, I think really the toughest thing for her with her phone 
is uh, New Year's Eve, we were at her house, and she's like, somebody keeps calling my phone, and I don't know who it is. And I look at the number, and it was her grandmother. It was Rod's mom. And I'm like, well, that's your, your grandmother. I'm like, why you didn't store it? She's like, I don't know how. So I stored a couple of numbers for her. But she's learning quick. She is learning it real quick. And I really thought she'd have it attached by her hip by now. But she makes a post. She puts it down. And she just goes back and does what she wants to do. So I know that she, you know, got married while she was incarcerated and then was sort of physically able to be with her husband for the first time um, when she was released. But it is really difficult, you know, for most people when they get married, you know, to go on the honeymoon and and be with their, their new spouse. This had to be especially sort of tough, a real adjustment. And I would guess for both of them. But how has it been for her? I mean, I was nervous for her. You know, at first, because they've visited, you know, in prison and they talk on the phone a lot. And that's a form of intimacy right there. And they bonded over that. But I was worried, okay, what's going to happen when you get out? (laughs) You know, we had that talk. And she said it was everything she expected it to be. It was wonderful. It was beautiful. They did stay at a hotel the night she got released, well, the morning that she got released, and she said it was wonderful. I'm not going to talk for her about experiences behind those doors, but she was happy. I'm glad to hear that. Um, That must have been a nervous time. I mean, I I can't imagine sort of meeting your husband physically, really, for the the first time after... uh, after that long relationship apart. So the, in the documentary, Gypsy says that she reveals things that even the family um, didn't know. Do you now know? Like, has she at least let on? And were there surprises for you? There was one surprise. Um, when they asked me how did I feel about when Gypsy shot Dee Dee? And I was like, What? They were like, you don't know? I'm like, no, I think I would remember that. And she hadn't told her dad either. So that, you know, it was a BB gun, of course. And I mean, that was pretty shocking. I did know about what her grandfather done to her. She told me, I want to say one or two years in. And she had asked me not to tell her dad. She wanted to tell him when she was ready. So when... She confessed, you know, told him about it. He called me. He's like, why you didn't tell me? I said, she told me not to tell you. You know, so he learned that on camera as well. But I had knew. And, you know, the the grandfather has um, put out a a reaction to that, saying it's an unusual reaction. I don't know that I've heard this one before, but um, he denies that he molested... um, Gypsy and said that Gypsy was the one touching him from the age of four and that he told her no. Do you have a response to that? Does Gypsy have a response to that? I mean, I'm not going to speak on her behalf on how she feels about it, but I think it's really messed up. Um, I can't even imagine. Uh, it's gross. 
it is. I mean, yes, he denies it. She swears it's the truth. You know, I mean, what, what are we going to do? There's really nothing, you know. I believe her. I believe it's happened. Because how she's explained it to me, it was pretty much in detail. And she shouldn't be taking a bath with her grandfather that. anyway. I was just about to ask if you're able to share um, the details that, that she shared. And, and you're saying that there was a bath when she was a, 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 a youngster? Yeah, from things that she's told me in that aspect, that he would take a bath with her. I mean, you don't do that at all. Did she, did she share any other details? Yeah, she shared some, um, but I'd rather not. It's her story, you know, to go into detail. Uh, it could be all in the book, which I was surprised when they did ask him. I had told the producer, if you can ask him that question, make sure you're running out the door. Because I didn't know what his reaction would be, and he just denied it. But if he did it, he has to live with it. What was Gypsy's husband's reaction to that information? be totally honest, I have no idea. I don't know what she told him or, you know, or how she told him. I guess because, you know, we were in the moment celebrating her return and none of that came up. We haven't talked about it. I didn't, I never reached out and discussed it with him because at that time I, I didn't know what he knew. Uh, Christy, I have to fit in a break. Can you stay with me a couple more minutes? I, I have lots more questions for you, including her safety. You know, now she's a public figure. There are millions of followers, and you and I both know that that also comes with, with risks. I want to ask you in, just after the break, if I can, about what she's doing to stay safe. And I also want to ask you a little bit about um, her ex-boyfriend, we're now learning, is filing an appeal um, and whether she's got some thoughts about that. Have you got, have you got a couple of minutes and then I'm going to come back to you and ask those questions? Yeah. Sure. Okay, thank you. Christy Rose Blanchard. Um, in just a few moments, we're going to continue those questions. And then, of course, is Gypsy going to watch those shows, right? That's also, like, a really big question. Does she want to watch all the shows that we've been watching? Stay right where you are. I'm coming back in four minutes. since Gypsy Rose Blanchard was released from her 10-year prison sentence on parole after serving eight years, um, having served time for conspiring to kill her mother, Dee Dee Blanchard, after a lifetime of, there's not an adjective that's suitable, uh, horrendous, despicable, foul, unconscionable abuse. Um, and I am so pleased to be joined by Christy Blanchard, Dee Dee's Stepmom, she's still live with me. Thank you for waiting over the break. I so appreciate it, Christy. I also wanted to ask you, I have watched the, the Mommy Dead and Dearest. Um, that's the documentary. There's also the fictionalized program called The Act about Gypsy Rose's story. There's so much out there that people have consumed about the story. Is there something about uh, what Dee Dee did all those years that we don't know yet? 
Not really. Um, I mean, there's a couple of things that um, she's done to me. Um, she even called the priest and told them that she, he couldn't marry us because they were still married. She's, she's pulled some, some doozies, I'll say. Um, yeah. She I tried it to do everything to ruin our relationship. And it sounds like uh, she may have done the same to her father and her father's uh, wife as well. They seem to make some pretty strong allegations that, that Dee Dee tried to kill her, her stepmother at some point. At least, I should say that's in the documentary. It's what they said in the documentary. Which leads me to that question. Does Gypsy Rose plan to watch all of the content that's, that's out there? The, the act and the mommy dead dearest. I mean, do, does she want to watch those stories about her? We've talked about it several times. Uh, the only one she's interested in besides this one that's coming out is the HBO documentary, Mommy, Dad, and Dearest, uh, the act. She doesn't really want to watch it, but curiosity, I think she'll end up watching it one day. I've only watched it once. Rod only watched, I think, one episode, and he had enough. So I guess when she's ready... She, Curiosity, You know, it's, it's going to happen probably, but I don't know when. And, of course, the, the act is the fictionalized, um, dramatic uh, presentation of, of Gypsy Rose's life. So because there's so much out there, because so many true crime fans have followed um, not only the story of Gypsy, but also her social media. I think she's, at last count, you know, around 6 million followers with Instagram and TikTok maybe combined. That means she's now public figure. Is there any concern about her safety? And are you all doing anything to ensure that she's going to be okay in her newfound freedom, but also newfound fame? Yeah, I mean, we want to get someone to help her, you know, control her social media because uh, she's still learning. She has a couple of stalkers out there, I'm not going to lie. Uh, some that are quite disturbing. But as her being safe at home, I think she's going to be, she's going to be okay. If worse comes to worse, we'll hire someone for her for security. Um, I'm just hoping that the creeps stay away from her, you know? That's Can how you expand on that, the creeps, and, and, and what, what has been said? Like, what kind of um, outreach has been made that's been disquieting or disturbing from some of those people? Well, there's one in particular. Um, he was saying he wanted to be there when she got released and hoping that they take a picture of him and saying, boyfriend is helping save Gypsy from paparazzi. Uh, he wanted... To do that, he found out he had my personal phone number and address, and it's just creepy. He's really creepy. He has made multiple accounts trying to add, you know, me, and I figured out quick that it was this person in particular, and if he keeps up, legal action will be taken. So that he sounds is not like a, from Louisiana. You know, a, 
an uncomfortable fan. Have there been any dangerous um, threats made? Has, has, has she felt uncomfortable about some of the threats or, or more cruel kinds of um, comments? Uh, I, I told her try not to read the comments, but New Year's Eve we were talking and she felt kind of a little bummed and she was like, people could be rude. And I said, gypsy, you know, let's say there's 200 comments and maybe a handful might be, you know, not so nice. I said, but the replies under it are people defending you. I said, but they're irrelevant. You know, just ignore it. They don't know you. They think they know you, but they don't. So it's, uh, yeah, this is a new world, right? Like being a public figure and at six million followers, you're definitely in that, in that range. That's also something that can be her, you know, it can be used to her advantage. Um, does she have any plans to capitalize on the fact that she's got these followers and people are fascinated by her? Has she got sort of a career path uh, planned ahead? Yes, she does. Um, the day she got out, she told me she didn't realize how big the story was. And I was like, well, no, you've been sheltered. But she definitely wants to use this to be an advocate, to be an influencer, to help, you know, kids that have been in this situation and that their eyes are opening up. If she could save one life, I think her, you know, it's a big deal. It is a very big deal. If she could just save one, now if she could save more, that's even better. She will be um, having her memoir book come out and We'll be doing more other things in the future. I, we're going to try to get her to go to schools and anywhere that we can that she could tell her story. And hopefully, so she's. Uh, if I if I read you right, uh, Christy. Yeah, if I read you right, Christy, she wants to get into advocacy. She wants to give speeches. She wants to help other kids. Like she's. Does that sound about right? She sort of wants to go on the circuit of helping others? You are absolutely right. That's exactly what she wants to do. She has a voice. Wow. Everyone is all about gypsy right now. Use it. Take it. You know, take advantage of it. Why not? Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's fascinating. And, you know, and I think yeah. she's, she's walked in those shoes uh, for her entire three decades. So that's, that's, an, um, that's, a, that's an advocacy ambassador right there. Can I ask you this just from a personal level, Christy? Uh, you're, I saw you in the yeah. documentary, you know, visiting Gypsy Rose, you and your husband, her father. Um, and you would, you would embrace in the, you know, in the visitor's room, but then the, that was it. And then you had to separate. And I, and I can imagine that was pretty heartbreaking. What was that moment like when you first had that chance to embrace uh, when she walked out of that prison facility for good? I didn't want to let her go, <laughs> you know. I let her go to her dad. You know, he deserved it. He deserved that first hug. I just sat down and, and waited. And when she came up to me and hugged me, I was like, is this for real? Is this really happening? I wondered how it was going to feel and the emotions. And I cried a lot that day, happy tears. But... I didn't want to let her go, but I sat in awe all that day and was just looking at her like 
just to see her talking to her friends, hanging out with her sister, talking to her dad, it, it was so good to see. It was just surreal. Well, I can see the sign that you put up in balloons saying, welcome home. That must have been very special for you as a family, especially in the holiday season as well. Uh, I can't thank you enough for this, you know, Christy, because this has been a, a, a big time for you and to carve out some of it to share with, um, with, with me and with our viewers. It's really appreciated. I'm wishing you and your family the best for 2024 and, um, and hoping all good things come with it. Thank you so much for allowing me to come back and talk to you. Well, certainly our pleasure. Christy Blanchard tonight, and I'm just going to mention the name of the upcoming book as well. It's called Released, Conversations on the Eve of Freedom. It's coming out January 9th, so you can get there, you know, get in your pre-order and all the rest. Um, and I'm sure that's going to be a page turner. And we'll continue to follow that story as well. Still to come, it has all been a dirty little secret until tonight. Scratch that. A big, dirty secret. But a New York judge has just opened the floodgates of Jeffrey Epstein's dirt. After the break, how it worked. How he got all those underage girls into his Palm Beach mansion, up to his so-called massage room. And how those kids suddenly found themselves naked and abused. The documents are fresh from the courthouse and they are next. More unsealed documents have just been released in the last few hours and more from Jeffrey Epstein's little black book. The people revolving around him and his accomplice, Ghislaine Maxwell, and their underage sex trafficking ring, including long sealed depositions about the case. And the documents were all part, as you'll know, uh, of the civil lawsuit that Ghislaine Maxwell was, uh, was involved in and settled years ago with um, one of the accusers and now actually victims in the case. Ghislaine is now in prison for a couple decades, and the federal judge ordered the vault opened. And there are hundreds of pages, so it's tough to get through, but we've been slogging through them. And tonight's release ranges from, like, like technical legal arguments to filthy exhibits and depositions. And just scratching the surface here, but I'm going to start with an email from uh, a victim of both Epstein and Maxwell, Virginia Giffray. So uh, she writes that uh, this is to a Daily Mail reporter named Sharon Churcher. Um, and she actually uh, claims that Bill Clinton threatened journalists at Vanity Fair magazine about reporting on Jeffrey Epstein and allegations of sex trafficking. Here is what she actually writes verbatim. Uh, when I was doing some research into Vanity Fair yesterday, it does concern me that they would want to write about me, considering that B. Clinton walked into Vanity Fair and threatened them not to write sex trafficking articles about his good friend, J.E., Jeffrey Epstein. Should I be asking, what is this story they're writing pertaining to? And in a further email correspondence between that Daily Mail reporter, Sharon Churcher, and uh, Virginia Dufresne, and keep in mind that, the, you know, um, that Sharon was covering the story of Dufresne's sex assault allegations, right? A reference is made by the reporter about Dufresne being trafficked by two of the world's most respected politicians. But the names are redacted. 
for now. We don't know if that'll continue, but right now they are redacted. But here's what the, the reporter Sharon Churcher writes. Quote, the big gamble would be to let him, Jufre's uh, lawyer, also give them, Vanity Fair, a statement saying that your interviews with us, the Daily Mail, were accurately reported and that you have no more to say at this time about how you were sex trafficked to Prince Andrew, PA, and other men, including two of the world's most respected politicians, uh, blank and blank. That's the bummer. As well as to women, the scenes with Ghislaine Maxwell, etc. because you are writing a book. Again, it is unclear who these respected politicians are. It is also, I have to remind you, these are uh, bits of depositions, right? These are not evidence in fact. Um, they're allegations, they are discussions, but they are not fact, they're not, they're not, you know, you just gotta be careful when you're talking about these people because it ruins lives. So, you know, it's important. So now, in another deposition from a victim named Joanna Schoberg, Schoberg says, um, and this is her answer in the deposition. At one point, Ghislaine told me to come upstairs. And we, this is in Palm Beach. And we went into a closet and pulled out the puppet, the caricature of Prince Andrew, and we brought it down. And there was a little tag on the puppet that said Prince Andrew on it. And that's when I knew who he was. And then the, uh, the questioner, the lawyer asks, and did, what did the puppet look like? And Joanna Schoberg answers, it looked like him. And she brought it down and presented it to him. And that was a great joke because apparently it was a production from a show on BBC. And they decided to take a picture with it in which Virginia, Jufre, and Andrew sat on a couch. They put the puppet on Virginia's lap and I sat on Andrew's lap. And they put the puppet's hand on Virginia's breast and Andrew put his hand on my breast and they took a photo. In a 2016 deposition, uh, Brad Edwards, who is a lawyer for Virginia Giuffre, uh, the, the Epstein victim, he's questioning um, the, a detective in Palm Beach. And this detective had like, he had like wrapped this case up with a bow and delivered it. And then the dirty sweetheart deal was forged anyway. He was very angry about it. But this was like the, the guy who had interviewed dozens of underage girls who were being recruited to give Jeffrey Epstein sexual massages in his mansion. So here's that lead detective um, being, being questioned by Virginia's uh, lawyers. So it's like a friendly exchange, right? So the, the lawyer, Mr. Edwards, says, and were the majority of those girls that you interviewed over or under the age of 18? And Ghislaine's lawyer goes, object to form and foundation. And the witness answers anyway, the majority were under meaning under 18. And Mr. Edwards' lawyer says, the remainder of the 30 girls, 30, the remainder of the 30 girls that went to his house for the purposes of massage or uh, recruited for massage, is it my understanding that they had no massage experience? Glenn's lawyer, object to form and foundation. Witness, that's correct. Again, the witness is the detective saying, you bet your booty. I've interviewed them all. All of them were young and they were all doing this. Okay, so then it goes on and uh, the detective says, each of the victims that went to the home were asked to bring their friends to the home. Some complied and some didn't. And Mr. Edwards, the lawyer says, okay, so the victim would come to the home and could give a massage and get paid for it. Is that right? Object to form and foundation, Ghislaine's lawyer. Uh, the detective, correct. And the lawyer, Mr. Edwards, says, and at the end of that massage, if that victim brought other friends, she would get paid for the recruitment of those friends. 
Object to Foreman Foundation, Glenn's lawyer says. Witness, correct. The witness again, the detective. Initially, when, when the victims would come into the home and were brought upstairs to provide the massage, Epstein would lay on his massage table where they would start to rub his back and the back of his legs. Epstein would either attempt to fondle the girls or touch the girls inappropriately, and at which point he would masturbate. And when he was done, he would get up and go wash off while the girls would get dressed and go back downstairs and get paid. The deposition goes on. The detective says when they went to perform a massage, it was for sexual gratification, the lawyer says. And when the assistants would call and ask these girls to work, did you learn what the term work meant with respect to these girls coming to the house? Objective Foreman Foundation. And the detective says work meant come and provide Epstein a massage. And here he discusses uh, uh, what happened. The lawyer says, and massage, how often would these massages, uh, based on your investigation, turn into something sexual? Object, Foreman Foundation. Witness says, during the investigation, it was determined that he would have multiple massages during the day. He would have some in the morning, some in the afternoon, and some in the evening. I want to bring in um, our, our correspondent, Laura Engel, who's been pouring through all of these documents. She's been watching all of it. The most important thing to get from you right now is, is if the Clinton camp has responded to what's been breaking in the last few hours. Yes. We, hi, Ashley. We have been uh, making those calls and emails all day long, and we did get a response, if you will, uh, from former President Clinton's camp, which reads, President Clinton will not be responding to the new Epstein documents or the claim that he threatened Vanity Fair. That's it. Full stop. That's the response we got. We we've well, okay. reached out to many other people uh, who were listed in these documents, uh, have not heard back, but that is the first response that we have received. Uh, they, and they all knew it was coming, so they, sure. they made a conscious decision, more than likely, to say, I'm not getting into it. So uh, one other quick question. I only have a, a minute, but Laura, the context of everything mm -hmm. that I was just reading, just sort of help the viewer understand. This is like a teeny tiny bit of these hundreds and hundreds of pages. Right. But give me the context of what these hundreds of pages really are and are not. Well, there are a lot of detail of what these witnesses and alleged victims say they went through. And you talked about the uh, mounds of evidence and uh, documents. I just want to show you. Today we got over 300 documents first. Then we got another 100. This is last night. This is 934 Oof. pages. So when we're talking about going through, and you went and read a few excerpts, think about going through all this. This is what we've all been doing, looking through these mounds of paperwork. So some of the details and the stories that we hadn't heard, we, yes, we've heard about the massages, um, but just to share one of them, we heard from a former household manager for Epstein's billionaire friends. Um, and when you think about the people that really know things behind closed doors, these are the types of people, the employees, people who run the household. Uh, and according to the documents, Ronaldo Rizzo, here's, this is just one example. Uh, he was actually in tears when he told investigators how he watched Maxwell bring a 15-year-old girl um, into this home. And she told him that Maxwell stole her passport and tried to make her have sex with Epstein while she was on his private island, threatened her and said, you can't leave. I'm taking your passport. You need to have sex with this man and this girl. I mean, think about what you were doing at 15 years old. Most 15-year-olds are just trying to think about, I want to get my driver's license. I want to save up enough money to, you know, 
buy a car or whatever, a pair of jeans. Uh, these girls uh, are being described as younger and younger as some of these depositions go. 17, 16, 15, and 14. And then I also wanted to bring sick. up uh, real sick. quick the kissing game so uh, that we learned about. Mr. Rizzo also testified that he watched Maxwell direct a room full of underage girls, some as young as 14 years old, to kiss, dance, and touch one another in a sexual way for Maxwell and Epstein to watch for their pleasure. That is what he testified to. That is what he shared with investigators. And that is what we're learning. Yep. That's, a, that's what we're seeing as I we're pointing through these documents. I, I said it's a river dirt, and you proved it. Laura, you're better at this than I am. Thank you for this. Sorry for the assignment, but you're doing great. Uh, Laura Engel doing the work for us tonight. Coming up next, um, I, if you think you can fool a lie detector test... It's tough stuff. Real live, FBI-level polygraph, right? Casey Anthony's parents are so sick and tired of being told that they're liars about their granddaughter Kaylee's death that they did it. They took the test, and they did it on TV. But did they have anything to do with Kaylee's death 15 years ago? Well, tonight, you're going to see the lie detector results. Full details in my chat with Casey Anthony's lawyer next. Casey Anthony's parents say, if you don't believe us, believe the polygraph. George and Cindy Anthony allowed the A&E network to record them taking a lie detector test to address the lingering questions about the disappearance and death of their granddaughter, little Kaylee Anthony, back in 08. Now, this is really hard to watch. Even after 15 years, just talking about Kaylee sends Cindy Anthony into a panic attack. Do you believe your daughter knows what happened? Yes, I believe 100%. And I kept hoping upon hope that she would confess. And that's the only reason I've been put myself through all of her drama and everything. Absolutely correct. Since June 16, 2008, Kaylee has been my number one priority as far as what happened to her and getting her back. I lost Casey and my granddaughter that day, but Kaylee was always the priority. Kaylee's always been the priority. That's been my focus and goal the whole time is to find out the truth and to sit here and listen to her keep making different stories as it fits. I'm having a hard time. I'm having a panic attack. I'm sorry. I'm gonna take my anxiety pills. I'm sorry. No, that's fine. Take a deep breath, please. I'll, I'll take one with you. We're going to get through this. I'm starting to lose it. I'm starting to faint. I'm starting to pass out. I don't know what... I just want to go down on the floor to set. What, you want to go with you? You want to go to the hospital? I need to breathe. Get away, I can't breathe. George and Cindy did take those polygraph tests, and I had a chance to talk about that today with Cheney Mason a little earlier before this whole show aired. Um, he's the attorney who represented Casey Anthony at her murder trial. Take a look. Cheney, I'd love to just get your overall reaction to the idea that George and Cindy Anthony would take such a public step in 
you know, exposing themselves on on a lie detector test after the years and years that they have um, endured in, in their, uh, you know, perspective, accusations of being liars. Well, <laughs> I don't know why they would do it. And, and frankly, uh, I didn't see any meaningful value to any of it. It's also totally rehearsed, staged, scripted. Uh, everything I watch them, them do, they, uh, it's, it's a dramatization rather than a candid interview. I spoke with I mean, the um, polygraph expert. Yeah, I spoke with the polygraph expert the other night, well, and um, the parameters were were clear. There, there wasn't any sort of TV magic to it in his estimation. He's got a lot of credibility, formerly with the FBI, and and there's a, a long list of accolades in his career. But let me let's go here. Why don't I play the one clip that I think is getting the most headlines? It's it's the part where the uh, polygrapher asks George Anthony, "Did you conceal uh, the whereabouts of of little Kaylee?" And his reaction there was a real pause. Let me play it, and I'm going to ask about it on the other side. Let's watch. Did you knowingly conceal Kaylee's whereabouts? No. I mean, I. I didn't know where she was at. Correct. That's all I'm asking. So the question again, did you knowingly conceal Kaylee's whereabouts? No. Okay, so you're struggling with that one a little bit. Tell me why. Did you conceal her whereabouts? Did I conceal her whereabouts? I did not know where she was at. Okay, so why are you struggling with that? So, you know, in Cheney, in the TV business, you call that a, a real teaser. You know, they sort of leave you on a cliffhanger. But it did appear, just in that short clip, that, that George Anthony was, was struggling with that question. You know, we'll get clarity when we see how it ends. But how do you think it's going to end? Well, I, I have no idea, but I don't think any of it was valid at all. Uh, mm -hmm. A good polygraph test only asks two or three or four questions at the most. It's not an ongoing discussion and just measuring things. I've never known a polygrapher to call that valid. Uh, that's a production. Uh, they, they have the tests are private. There's no witnesses. There's nobody in there to, to uh, be in the view or sensation of the person being tested. And the questions are very simple. They get a standard like, you know, are you in Orlando, Florida? I do want to ask you if you've had any contact uh, with, with Casey and if Casey is planning to watch this special to see her parents being questioned um, while on the lie detector test. No, I've not talked to her about it. Uh, last time any contact I had with Casey was exchanging Merry Christmas. <laughs> no. You know, it'd be more valid, in my opinion, from my viewpoint, if he took a polygraph test by a qualified polygrapher, and I'm not saying your guy is not, but it'd be all in private, and it wouldn't be all revealed with a crew around and, and people filming and all that sort of stuff. That's, it creates an entirely artificial environment, in my opinion, would make any test invalid, no matter what the results were. Casey's lawyer, Cheney Mason. Thanks for being here tonight. See you back here tomorrow. Cuomo starts now.
Chris Cuomo, Happy New Year. I missed you, but I'll tell you what I didn't miss this time of year in an election cycle. We are in the midst of what we call in the business the hate parade. All kinds of bombs are going to be thrown now, some literal, uh, some figurative. Why? Hurt the other side. Hurt your opponents. Got the early primaries coming. But here, we don't play the game. We expose it. So let's get after it. We begin with the Jeffrey Epstein list. Is it really a list? For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. 